0: What does it feel like to be that smart? Not just the Rhodes Scholarship, but what does it feel like inside your head? And we have established you're damn
1: smart. I, I will have to deny it formally. I will. I will yeah, have to deny. I, I get proven every day. I get proven every day that I am not. I am not that smart. <laughs> that just means you're stretching day. yourself. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm
0: Scott McGrew. Welcome. To Sand Hill Road. Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
1: Grill, patio, sunset—hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh,
0: burger time!
1: So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you.
0: I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call
1: 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: It's pretty easy to recognize the technological advances around us in hardware. The phone in your pocket is way different than the phone you carried 20 years ago. Electric cars are commonplace, and you can turn off your lights or turn up the heat at home Simply by saying, Alexa. But biotech, biotech is advancing so much faster with such bigger impact, but you may not see it around you. Forget about turning off a
1: light. Think about turning off a gene. What we're, what we're actually doing is we're manipulating the ways in which cell, the cells and organs in our body work.
0: Sean Gandhi is director at North Pond Ventures and is one of the National Venture Capital Association's rising stars of
1: 2022. I was incredibly honored and pleased to to be nominated for the award and then then to be actually awarded it. Can you, in layman's
0: terms, explain what makes biotech, the potential that is ahead, so world-changing? it's almost uh, like like inventing the the science of astronomy and only now discovering that there are
1: other worlds beyond exactly. our own exactly 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 or or even thinking about the thinking about like the the computing industry we're at a point where we're still figuring out how semiconductors work and 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 so you know once we figure that out of course there will be massive changes and and significant leaps forward and and how we understand biology and how we're able to develop drugs for drugs for human health uh, but we're we're still figuring it out right now
0: so you're at the center of all this do you ever wish you know you're you're in the very early days uh uh of this science do you do you wish you were born maybe a hundred years later that you'd find out what it all ends up doing or all are now. you content being the on the copernicus level of astronomy <laughs>
1: I wouldn't. I would definitely not compare myself to Copernicus. But
0: um, okay, some guy but,
1: Copernicus knew.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, some fair enough. Copernicus is fair loud. enough. Fair enough. I would. I, I, you know, or uh, someone who like met Copernicus at a party. Um, um, guy thinks he's the center of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, it's it's exciting right now. I mean, I I even think about when I read. You know, when I read history textbooks about the history of science, it's so fascinating that at certain points in history all of the fundamental our fundamental understanding of how physics works and chemistry works and how our world works people were people discovered that and that just sounds so exciting to figure out like to be you know to be in the same room as copernicus when he figured out that the sun was at the center of the solar system and not the earth I mean that's so fundamental to how we think about the cosmos and how we think about our place in the galaxy, um, and and like to have and for him to have figured that out and to have scientific data to substantiate that, that's super exciting. And I feel like, to a certain extent, um, we're still we're still in that place in in biotechnology. We're still learning. Every day we're still learning things about how our body works and how biology works. And how cells work it's, what, it's absolutely fascinating what
0: potential development um, you know that's theoretically possible excites you most
1: there they uh, they're two and they're interrelated so um, the uh, the first the first area is gene therapy and what I mean by gene therapy is the ability to go into our cells and to change the the genes or the building blocks of who we are as people the ability to to change it and to have it be and have that gene be changed for every cell in the body so that you can fix diseases that may have originated in some issue that that happened with that particular gene and what's really fascinating about gene therapy is that you have the possibility with a single dose you can you can treat a disease and have that disease be fundamentally cured and have that person get this one treatment and then be better off and to not suffer from that illness ever again in their life that to me is that to me is mind blowing and and so i'm incredibly excited for a future where we for, for all aspects of human health, we can understand how our DNA, how our RNA, how our proteins are contributing to that human health or maybe detracting from it. and and then we now have therapies that we can go in and actually fix them at a molecular at a molecular level so that we can hopefully uh, create a lot more cures for diseases that still afflict us.
0: As, as a venture capitalist, there are a lot of startups uh, in which, you would not necessarily. It might be helpful, but you would not necessarily need the expertise in order to be a good investor. If I said to you, "Hey, I've got this idea where we'll we'll put an app on the phone, and you could have a private citizen come and pick you up in their car, and we'll call sure. it Uber," you'd yeah. say, "All right, I you know I don't know how to write an app, but I I get the principle, and it sounds
1: great." We'll you make- know a lot. Of, you know a lot of people didn't get. It. When, yeah, yeah, uh, it's true. A lot of people didn't get
0: it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, we'll make we'll make millions. It'll be great. Sure, but there are sure. some there are some things like biotech in which mm-hmm. just to, to even begin to sit down at a pitch meeting, you would have to know an awful awful lot about what they're saying.
1: That's that's mostly true. Um, the big challenge, I think, the big challenge with with biotech is we're still learning the biology. And so when when I meet with a company for example, part of their innovation inevitably is we have this new we have this new understanding of biology, we have this new understanding of human health. And and because of that insight that we have, the product that we're making has value and has merit. And so in order to and by the way, we have such a thing as product market fit in biotech, but it's but you don't get that product market fit for many years. It's only after you you've developed a drug and you've tested it in clinical trials and you're and you're starting to see you see that it's starting to work in people. That's when that's really when you when you start to have product market fit. But that's not for many years. And so if you're looking at a company that still has a few years more to go before they have a drug that could. Uh, potentially be tested in a clinical trial and in and, and tested in people. You uh, you have to rely upon you have to rely upon the biology that you know and, and the biology that they're talking about, and you have to reason you have to reason with it. You have to you have to figure out whether that explanation makes sense and the biological principles they're relying upon make sense. That the data that they're showing makes sense. So it does help to have technical knowledge um, of, of biology, you don't necessarily have to know everything about biology. I mean, I definitely don't know everything about biology. And so I, I often lean upon my colleagues. I lean upon experts in the field who know a lot more about specific niches to then for me to ask them questions. But having having a, having a core understanding of biology having an understanding of the vocabulary and like what questions to ask and how to critically analyze data, that's actually very helpful in, in understanding biotechnology innovations.
0: Now, prior to venture, you were uh, attending a physician at uh, Mass General and an instructor at Harvard Medical. Uh, you know, it seems like a shame for, for medicine to lose you.
1: Uh, I don't think medicine's lost to me. I, I see it as, I see medicine as a profession that aims to increase human health. And you can, you can accomplish that in many different ways. Now, the most common way in which physicians increase human health is by being a clinician, being in a hospital or in a clinic, taking care of patients, and and helping address their health concerns and diagnosing and treating, treating illness. But I also see other ways in which physicians can increase human health. And, and so for me, I saw an opportunity to make a significant impact by helping emerging biotechnology companies uh, with capital, with expertise, with guidance, develop drugs that the world needs. I mean, it's, I, there are just countless examples. So I, as, you, as you mentioned, I, uh, I, I trained at Mass General and I practiced there as a physician. Obviously Mass General, very eminent academic medical center. Uh, we took care of patients from all over the world that would come to us uh, for second or third or even fourth opinions. And, and so we saw a lot of patients, I saw a lot of patients for whom most of the, most of the common treatments for their illness has been tried. And, and unfortunately, in their case, those treatments were not working. And so they were looking for some creative, out-of-the-box thinking. They come to us. And we try our best to figure out something else. Maybe there's a clinical trial they can enroll upon. Maybe there's, maybe there's some drug that has some effect where we can use it off-label to hopefully help the patient. Um, maybe we have surgeons um, with surgeons on our staff that are exquisitely skilled in their craft. And they're gonna, they would be able to accomplish things that, that others may not be able to. But there were countless examples where even with all of that, we just were unable to help. A lot of patients because their disease was so severe. It was so complicated. We just didn't have any tools at our disposal to help them. And that got to me uh, after many, many, after many experiences of, we have these patients who are still, who still are in need of care. We don't have the drugs. We don't have the tools to help them. What if, what if I could help in that regard? What if I could Find a path where I could contribute in a way to the development of new drugs and new tools, so that those diseases could now be treated because we've developed those new drugs. And so that's that's how I see myself still contributing to uh, to increasing human health.
0: Well, you certainly sold me. Now, did you sell, <laughs> did, did you did you sell your parents? Because I was talking to another physician, uh, Aman Abuzaid, yes. who said that uh, she said uh, when I called my parents to say, you know, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore. Uh, it didn't go well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it was it was a long conversation with them, um, but uh, no, they uh, they they were very understanding. That no, they 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 saw it. they saw that this was something I was very passionate about. I was still in the medical profession, kind of, um, maybe again, not necessarily taking care of patients directly on a day-to-day basis, but I was still contributing to human health. And so, yeah, I, I, maybe, uh, maybe the conversation went better than I expected.
0: Good. Oh, I'm glad. Uh, you, you were a Rhodes scholar, which took you to Oxford
1: for your undergrad, which college? I was at Malton college.
0: Okay. So that's the,
1: that's the one that, uh, for, for anyone who's been to Oxford, um, they have a, they have a massive deer park in the center of the college, and and um, I think they have like two hundred or three hundred deer, and they just kind of mill about all day, and people walk by as they go to class or they, you know, they go to the dining hall or something. So it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very special place.
0: I, I have wandered around Oxford, and I, I recommend it to anyone. It's bucolic. Yes. It's, it, you know, I do it's too. literally, I it's too. Harry Potter. Yes. Harry Potter was shot at it one was of shot the shot colleges. There. Yep. Yeah, it is, it is lovely. Uh, from, then you go, uh, from there you go to Harvard Medical School and an MBA at Harvard Business School. And looking at the dates, there's a little overlap. There's a little there. overlap, yes. So yes. you were at med school at Harvard and Harvard Business School at the same time?
1: So it was never truly at the same time. But what Harvard has is a joint degree program between the medical school and the business school where you go to medical school for a period of time, then you go to business school for a period of time, and then in your final year, you, uh, you take electives at both schools. Um, so, uh, so this was a way for me to obviously you know, get my training in, in medicine and be well prepared to be a resident physician and continue my training in medicine, but also get a lot of exposure and training in management. And in business, and so there were um, the program's been around for a while now, and there's typically ten to fifteen students um, out of the like a normal class of nine hundred. There is about ten to fifteen students who who are in that program every year, and they have they have other programs too. They have um, I think there's a there's a joint degree program with the law school. I think they have other joint degree programs as well. The,
0: the ten to fifteen students
1: who say, you know, Harvard Medical School is not quite hard enough for me. <laughs> Well, I think it, it's. Uh, I, I think it. It came as an outgrowth of just an understanding, and I think. I mean, now we kind of get it more than ever um, that there is such a great degree of interplay between medicine and business that if there are people who have been trained in both, the the hypothesis is that they would be better equipped to address those challenges, and and I feel a an industry like venture capital where you truly are marrying both of those disciplines you are looking at the medical data you're looking at the biological data but you're also looking at the at the potential at the potential market at the potential commercialization path these are both medical challenges as well as business challenges and and so I'm I'm grateful for the education that I received because it it started me on that path of thinking about both of those, both of those areas and how to how to think about them simultaneously when when solving challenges.
0: At the beginning of that path, uh, there's the Rhodes Scholarship. Where were you when you got word that you had had achieved it?
1: It was at my interview. So I was a senior. so I, I went to Case Western Reserve University for undergrad. I was a senior at the time, and I flew to uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, for my uh, final round interview for the roads. There were, I think there were 15 or maybe 16 people. It was they do it, they do their interviews regionally. So I was in a region, uh, so I'm originally from Michigan, so I applied through my home state of Michigan. So it was the region was Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So all of the people there had some connection to one of those three states. Either they were from there or they went to school there, and and so they have a um, there's a a reception the night before where you meet all of the judges that I will interview with the next morning, and then the next morning uh, on a Saturday you. Um, each person goes in and has a 30 minute I think it was a, I think it was a thirty minute interview. Um, it may have been 20 minutes, uh, but it was relatively short. Um, a, a twenty to thirty minute interview with the panel and they ask you questions about all sorts of things. like and, like what? what would you what would you ask? Uh, so um, one question I was asked was so, so I was I was involved with a lot of public speaking um, activities in college, and so they asked me a question do you think India should become a permanent member of the UN Security Council um, that was one question they asked me uh, they asked me they asked me some specific I had done a lot of cancer research in undergrad so uh, there was a person on the panel who was a who was an oncologist so he asked some specific technical questions about my research um, they asked me what was the last book I read um, they it's like very it's like very, very diverse questions. And like each person probably has their own set of questions they'd like to ask. And so they, they went around and they, uh, they asked it. Um, but everyone kind of went through, everyone went through their interviews and then we all basically sat downstairs in the building while the panel was deliberating. And then they just randomly say like, we've made our decisions, everyone come up and then they just announce it in front of everybody. So that's how it's, so I found out in person when they told me.
0: And the phone call back home.
1: And then the phone call back home was quite exciting. Um, uh, my parents obviously were over the moon, um, and uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it it was it it was it was unreal. It was unreal, and and it was such a such a great such a great opportunity, such a great experience to go to the UK and to um, study an emerging area biology. I studied um, cancer stem cell biology at the um, at Oxford, but also just. Meeting a lot of people, meeting my fellow classmates who were also scholars, uh, meeting other students, undergrad and grad, who came from all over the world to study at Oxford, uh, and of course living in the UK when my early twenties. It's uh, this was back in the day when uh, those low cost flights were still around, and so you could um, you could like get a ticket from london to some like random town in the south of france for like a pound or like two pounds or like a few bucks you can make it it costs more money to actually take the bus to the Mm -hmm. airport than Mm -hmm. the actual flight to um uh to the to whichever city so it's uh it was was an absolutely amazing experience
0: i'm gonna ask this question and i want you to approach it you know i want i don't want you to deny it and i want you to approach it as a as a scientist what does it feel like to be that smart not just the Rhodes scholarship but what does it feel like inside your head and we
1: have established you're damn smart i, I will have to deny it formally i will i will yeah, have to deny i get evidence you're a who i get proven every day i get proven every day that i am not i am not that smart that I just means you're stretching day. yourself Or do you mean street smart? Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, it's, I think venture, I think science, medicine, and venture, one of the commonalities across all three is you are hypothesis testing. You put a lot of analysis into how you see the world and how you think. You come up with a conclusion based on analysis. And then many times you are proven wrong. Um, you know, the, you think you think you have the diagnosis of the disease that the patient has right, and then lo and behold, that's not what's going on; it's something completely different. Or you think that this particular area of biology is very interesting, and a drug could be developed, and you find out no, actually, you can't do it. So it's uh, uh, it, it's there. It's it's interesting in that in all three cases we are um, we're proven wrong a lot. Um, but I, you know, I see those as, I see those as learning. I see those as learning opportunities. Uh, that I, I feel like that's the best way to go about it. Not really, oh, like this is terrible. Like how could we have gotten this so wrong? But let's revisit our let's revisit our analysis and see. Well, now we know what happened. Um, could we have predicted this? And and how do we refine our assessment so that in the future we hopefully will do a better job of analyzing data and and hopefully get it wrong fewer times.
0: Well, and that that's an attitude which can be replicated by someone who, you know, doesn't have the gray matter to become a rote scholar but can still make major achievements in life because this idea, I will test this hypothesis, I may be wrong, I will not get down on myself, I will attack the problem again, doesn't matter where you are on the IQ line.
1: I think it's it's uh I think it requires you know, there's um I I forget what the name of it is, but there's that there's that famous curve where it shows um your confidence level in your in your conclusions. And as you learn more and more, like your your confidence level like goes up initially um because you feel like you know everything, and (laughs) then it drops down because you know that you actually don't know anything and then it start it finally starts to to creep up um i don't know i think it's called the dunning kruger effect i don't i i forget what the name of it is but um it's maybe it's understanding understanding all the things that i don't know and being being open to the possibility of being proven wrong that's I feel like that, that, that actually could be a difference. Like as someone becomes more expert in a particular field and learns more, they probably actually get more comfortable that they're going to be wrong a couple of times versus at the very beginning, it's like, no, I can't be wrong. Um, I have to be right. I did this analysis perfectly. And so it cannot, it cannot end up any other way.
0: Donald Rumsfeld got teased for saying it, but, but he once said, there are things, there are things we know and we things know we, don't we don't know. know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. And that's you know, oftentimes where, where the development or the excitement or the danger really lies.
1: Right? Right. Absolutely. No, I, I, We actually have, a, in our investment thesis, we have a, a slide at the end of our deck where we list out our known unknowns. And we actually list them out. And and basically the statement we're making is we are we have to be comfortable not knowing the answers to these questions in order for us to do an investment, because if we're not comfortable with it, then like these questions, we just cannot address at this time. We need to do more experiments. We need to see how the drug looks. We need to test it in different scenarios in order for us to understand it for real. And, and we won't have those data available to us now, and we just have to be comfortable with that. And if we're not comfortable, we probably shouldn't do the deal. Um, the, the unknown unknowns, that we try to get to the bottom of as much as possible. Um, and I think that's actually the point of due diligence in, mm-hmm. in venture capital. is not necessarily to answer every question, but it's really to uncover every potential risk and at least have it listed out, so it flips from unknown unknowns to known unknowns, and then you can start. Then you can start deciding: Am I comfortable with this level of uncertainty or not?
0: As we're talking about intelligence, have you given thought to where it comes from? Are your parents terribly bright? I mean, this is they're the ultimate incredi- nature versus smart. nurture question, right? They're incredibly right? smart. Um, uh, where Where does the intelligence come from?
1: It's. It's. I mean, it has to be from. It's probably a combination of the two. There, it definitely intelligence is heritable to a certain extent. Um, You know, what's interesting? You you know, the way in which you ask your question, where, like, what is intelligence? I think that's still, that's still an open question for a lot of neuroscientists. Like, what is when you compare the brain when you look at the brain of an intelligent person, what is actually going on internally that makes them intelligent? I mean, my, my hypothesis is it has to do with uh, connectivity and connections that the brain can make. So you can take different pieces of data and put them together in ways that aren't obvious. And someone who's intelligent is just able to do that much faster and is able to pull in even more disparate pieces of data and and make, and make connections between the, uh, between the two. Um, that can also be learned to a certain extent. And, and so that's why even though nature is a pretty significant component to intelligence, in my view, uh, nurture is also quite significant. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, not to get, not to get political, but I, I am certain that like when we talk about policies that help educate and train um, the country, they're important because not only is it just fundamentally a right thing to do that everyone should be taught and everyone should be educated, but when we're thinking about how do we push our society forward, how do we think about next the new innovations that our society will need, we will need intelligent people in order to identify those innovations and, and go after them. And I think we can all agree that there are many parts of our country where the education system that we have is not equipped to teach children what to do and to train people for um, train people and how to think and and how to learn, and so I'm certain there are people stuck in areas where they're not getting trained well, they're not getting educated well, that have the nature component down, their brains are primed and ready to go, but they weren't educated. They weren't taught. They didn't have great. They didn't have a great education system. They didn't have great teachers, and so as a result, um, they won't. They'll never be able. That potential will never be visible. And I think that's that's a that's a loss for society. There are probably Einsteins running around today that will never know about because they didn't go to a school or they didn't have the right family situation. Or didn't have the right neighborhood situation that could allow them to understand the potential that they really have.
0: Sean Gandhi, director at North Pond Ventures in Boston. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes at, at PressHereTV.com.